Good morning and happy Tuesday, Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright with you on Roadmap to Heaven. That's right. We're back now five days a week, although it's technically only four this week, thanks to the holiday. But we are here with you every weekday morning going forward and how good it is to be back with you on a Tuesday morning. I want to wish you all a happy end of your holiday weekend. We're now now back to the daily grind, as they say. So let's begin our day and our week together in prayer as we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as I said, it is very good to be back with you this morning on a uh, Tuesday morning. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. I know we had a lot of fun celebrating, and uh, Mass was beautiful on Sunday as well. So as we said, going into the weekend, Friday, we had the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Saturday, we had the Immaculate Heart of Mary with First Saturday. Sunday, we had our Sunday celebrations and uh, yesterday, Independence Day. And so red, white and blue and green, I think, were the covers colored uh, or the colors covered over the weekend. Um, But what a great weekend it was. I know Sunday night I was very grateful to spend the evening with the kids and some friends at a little secret spot on a hill, kind of off the beaten path, across from the major thoroughfare, watching some fireworks out in West St. Louis County. Uh, It was good to catch up with an old friend and see his kids and see some wonderful fireworks without having to fight the crowds. And then last night uh, we took the kids and some family and some friends, and went to see the uh, good old Gateway Grizzlies, the Frontier League Baseball Club, not too far away over in Illinois. And, you know, the game was good for the most part, and the fireworks were fantastic. The the smell of freedom smelling much like sulfur and uh, that feeling of freedom feeling much like the uh, paper debris raining down because of the way the wind was blowing. Uh, we, we were literally covered in smoke and, and whatnot afterwards. It was but it was it was fantastic and worth it. The kids had a great time. We had a great time. It had me thinking a lot, though, about freedom. And that's one of the things we are going to talk about today on the show. We're going to be talking with Father Jeffrey Kirby about the difference between freedom and license. And freedom's a word we've been tossing around all weekend long. But now that uh, we're back, let's talk about what does that actually mean. I'll also say this. I was thinking about, you know, how often do you hear over Independence Day weekend? Freedom isn't free. We'll hear that Veterans Day weekend. We've, we've heard it Memorial Day weekend. And I'm not making light of it. It's very true. I mean, go back to the founding of our country and the Declaration of Independence, the Revolutionary War. How many fought literally and gave their lives literally so that we could enjoy the freedoms that we do today? Um, freedom's not easy. Freedom is not easy at all. And I was thinking about this. How often have I just gotten comfortable in my Catholic life and said, well, Lord, I just want my faith to be easy. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to get up on Sunday morning and, and go to Mass. It's, that's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to just do this and do that. Well, what about in the hard times, you know, when you don't feel like praying or 
when you're going through trials or you're, you're suffering, whether it's physical ailments or emotional ailments or stress or a situation at work, a situation with family, what about in those moments? Faith isn't easy all the time in those moments, and it takes a lot of work to say, I'm going to keep the faith. You know, to say, God, how are you working in all of this? As opposed to just giving up and saying, well, God must not be working in all of this. You know, he's with us every step of the way, and we can choose to accept his grace or reject it. And he leaves that choice with us. But it takes work. It takes perseverance. So that was one thought I had over the weekend as I kept reflecting on the founding of our nation and that idea that freedom isn't free. It comes at a cost, a great sacrifice. And are we willing to make those sacrifices in our faith lives as well? Also on the show today, I'm very excited for this. We have, uh, as you may know, we're at the beginning of a three-year period of Eucharistic revival here in the United States. And a lot was done on Corpus Christi weekend to get the ball rolling on this. Um, But today we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about it on the show. And we're going to have Dr. Scott Hahn with us a little later in the show. And I'm very happy to say not only today, but tomorrow and Thursday as well. So that's what's ahead on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Uh, We've got some other stuff in there for you as well. But I think that's a good start. So let's go now to Mike Roberts for a check of today's weather. And then when we come back, well, we'll be talking about the Eucharist. So you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Today is the feast day of St. Anthony Maria Zachariah. Born into nobility in 1502, his father died when he was two years old. His mother, when Anthony was still a boy, decided to put him in charge of a portion of the family's wealth responsible for determining how much would be given to the poor and sick. This made him acutely aware of the suffering of those in need. He became a physician at 22, and while working among the poor, felt called to the priesthood. He was ordained at 26 and sent to Milan, where Anthony quickly went to work growing the church, founding three new congregations, one for men, another for women, and a third for married couples. They were called the Barnabites because of his devotion to St. Paul and Paul's companion, Barnabas. Anthony was a great preacher, speaking in churches and on the street. He encouraged the laity to become involved in their parishes and led missions for them. He also helped spread the 40 hours devotion, 40 successive hours of adoration with one church starting as another finished. He also revived the tradition of ringing the church bells on Friday at 3 p.m. in honor of Jesus' crucifixion and death. In addition, Anthony was deeply involved in the Counter-Reformation. While traveling on a mission, he got sick and died on this day in Milan in 1539. He was just 36 years old. St. Anthony Maria Zachariah, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We're always happy to be joined by Father Jeffrey Kirby, pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina. And Father, this past weekend, we celebrated a nice extended weekend, a little four-day weekend for many of us, celebrating our nation's founding, Independence Day, a day that we hear that phrase, let freedom ring. And we need to talk about what the word freedom actually means. Now, not not in the context of the founding of the United States of America, but so often in our culture, 
we hear, well, I just want to be free to do that. You know, I should be free to do this. I should be free to make this choice. I should be free to make that choice. Um, And we confuse, myself included, the difference between freedom and license. And there's a very important distinction we need to get into today. So, Father, it's always good to have you with us. I wonder where would you like to begin as we talk about these differences between freedom and license? Yes, yeah, so good, Adam. It's good to be on the show. And, and I'll and I tell you, this is a topic dear to my heart as, as a moral theologian. And if I can just start with the example of, of robbing a bank, right? So right now, the vast majority of Americans have at least the general capacity to go and rob a bank. I want to draw that example because when we speak about the difference between license and freedom, license is the ability or the capacity to do something, right? So if someone has the capacity to rob a bank or to commit any other, other crime or evil, right? So we have this, this capacity. But, but that's not freedom because if someone were to rob a bank, they would be violating the common good, stealing from their neighbors, ultimately uh, would be caught and, and would spend time in prison. So, so there's, no life, there's no freedom there because the capacity itself is not the definition of freedom. And this is the point that oftentimes is lost is, no, no, if I'm able to do something, then I should be able to do it. And that's freedom. But the point we're making and drawing from civilized societies throughout human history and certainly from the, from the teachers of the scriptures and especially St. Paul in the letters to the Galatians, that the capacity to do something is not itself freedom. That's a license. So a license here just means a capacity or an ability to, to do stuff, to do this thing. Freedom, properly understood, is the power to do what is right. So I can rob a bank, but I won't, even if I'm in financial hardship, because I respect the common good. I respect my neighbor. I will not steal. I respect myself. And I'm going to just try to figure it out as best I can because freedom is the power to be able to say, I could do that, I choose not to because it's not good. That serves no good. That's freedom, that power within us to overcome the fallenness or the temptation or the license, that ability, the raw ability, and to say, no, I will do what is good and true and noble and beautiful. I will do what is right. That's freedom. So it's that capacity of self-control and understanding of virtue and the ability to accomplish in ourselves what is truly noble. You mentioned Galatians, and it, it is one of my favorite books in the New Testament, and I immediately pulled up here um, chapter 5, verse 1, that kind of sets the whole stage for this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And, and that yoke Amen. that St. Paul's speaking about there, that and Father, as you just said, is the yoke of sin. And you got into this a little bit, but I'd like to go a little bit deeper here. That that yoke of slavery, that yoke of sin, I know from my own life that, you know, especially being a young man in my late teens, early 20s, I, you know, I had struggles that I'm willing to bet most young men in their late teens, early 20s have the exact same struggles. And I remember at a certain point breaking down in prayer in the middle of the night, um, saying, Lord, I don't want to be a slave to this. I, you know, Much like St. Paul saying, I know what I ought to do, but there's a great divide between what I ought to do and what my body wants to do. 
And I realized I was having a very difficult time conquering my own passions. And it was really, for me, the first time that I fully understood this idea that, wow, I've become a slave to my own sin, and the only way I'm going to get out of this is with the grace of our Lord, because Adam Wright has proven he cannot do this on his own. And so to take this a little bit deeper, you know, the the other thing we hear when we talk about freedom and licenses, well, is it really that bad? You know, why should we be concerned, Father, if someone does this? Is it really is it really that bad? And then we find ourselves on that slippery slope where something that's maybe not that bad turns into something a little worse and a little worse and snowballs down the mountain, and now all of a sudden we find ourselves in a big problem. Yes, yes. In fact, I, I oftentimes call that, um, you know, this as you're describing this, this gradual growth of sin. So, you know, our, our little sin, we think, you know, wants to get into our heart. Well, sin doesn't like to be alone, so it gets to our heart and it eventually builds an altar, and then the altar needs a little temple, and the temple needs a neighborhood. And the neighborhood needs society. And next thing we know, our little sin is taking over our hearts. And suddenly, we begin to view reality from the perspective of that sin. It is shocking how much sin can actually deform and manipulate our souls. But we really begin to see reality from the perspective of our sin. So, for example, we were to take someone who's addicted to pornography. They see the whole world through the lens of objectification. They objectify other people. So every other sin, violations of charity or kindness, uh, all of it is immediately seen from the perspective of that sin. I'm just going to objectify people, what they can do for me or how they can give me pleasure. And then if someone speaks of virtue, such as self-control or chastity or kindness or charity, the person thinks that that's crazy talk. That doesn't happen. No one can do That's a fantasy because they're so entrenched in their own sin, they can't imagine a selfless act or an ordered life. They can't imagine virtue. So sin takes over, and, and you know when the Church speaks about venial sins, like I want to caution Christians, like don't take venial sins lightly, because any of those venial sins, as we're describing, they begin to take over the heart. And ultimately, when our heart is surrendered to sin, as we're discussing, we are not free. And that passage, Adam, you just read Galatians chapter 1, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, like, I love that. I mean, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That means our freedom can be enslaved, and our freedom can be enslaved by license, by using that raw ability to violate what is good and true and noble. And then St. Paul says, so stand tall. I love that. That's like a command. So stand tall you know, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Reminds me of the early church, Pope Leo the Great, one of our early popes. He, he's the one who defended Rome against Attila the Hun. And he would say to, to the Christian community, know your dignity. Know your dignity. And do not surrender it to sin. That's powerful. So we begin to realize freedom protects us. It guards our freedom. It guards, guards moral truth. It guards our moral sense, our understanding of what is right and wrong. Father, before we wrap up here, I want to go back to something that the Galatians has made very clear, that my own lived experience has made very clear, I'm sure your lived experience has made very clear, and that's that who sets us free? Not not Father Jeffrey Kirby, not Adam Wright. Now, we have a say in it, 
Um, but ultimately, who sets us free from sin? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we might have someone listening right now that either randomly tuned in or is a devoted listener and is saying, wow, everything, Father, you're saying is, is I'm identifying with it today. I see how I have become enslaved to this or that particular sin. Um, it's a good time for us to stop and say, all right, well, then here's what you do. Step one is get to the confessional. But, you know, why is that so important not to delay and say, all right, I'm struggling with sin. I'm going to go to the confessional and, and go receive that wonderful sacrament. Yes, and, and I want to echo that that, that invitation, Adam, that if someone finds themselves in sin, they've been listening to our conversation today to, to go receive the mercy of God. For As you said, our only Savior is Jesus Christ. He can, he can free us from the slavery of sin. And, and, and why that's so important that we do it quickly is because we get used to sin, right? Sin gets in, it, 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 it malforms, it, it deforms our, our souls, and we just get used to that. In fact, we start thinking that's life, and we start thinking the abundant life that people talk about, again, is a joke, and we just get used to it, we get settled, and it becomes harder and harder for the graces of conversion, the graces of repentance to work, because oftentimes we find ourselves settled in sin, we just start committing more and more sin. Our sense of, wait, that's wrong, becomes severely diminished. So rather than wounding our soul, I would say, if you find yourself in sin, go to confession, go to the Lord Jesus, he's an ocean of mercy, he can free us, and allow us again to stand tall and not commit to sin again. And this is very different, you know, I, I think of some people, they struggle with this or that bad habit in their life, and they might go see a, a counselor or some other person and say, I need you to help me break free of this habit. And and part of the spiritual life and spiritual direction is to examine our daily living and say, yeah, you know, if you're struggling with an addiction to pornography, as an example we used earlier, you, you may not want to bring your smartphone or your computer or your tablet into your bedroom behind closed doors. You know, why, why would you set yourself up to fall victim to that? But it's so much more than just an examination of our life and where we made mistakes. There's supernatural grace that happens that, you know, while we are going to have some temporal work to do to break free from whatever vice is plaguing us, you know, there is such an outpouring of grace to help us that when we're in a state of mortal sin, we're cut off from. And I, you know, I kind of shudder to think of the times that I have forgotten that, Father, that I have forgotten. You know, it's not like it's going to be a magic moment that I'm going to go into the confessional and when I come out, I'm never going to struggle with whatever sins I struggle with because I find myself taking the same sins into the confessional most of the time that I always do. But God is working more power in my life, especially when I come out of a state of mortal sin and back into a state of grace. Yes, amen, amen. And, and, and we could never allow ourselves to think that the fullness of life in Jesus Christ is merely the absence of sin. That when we allow the sin to be removed, then the Spirit can work. Grace can work. So the flourishing of virtue, the freedom of heart, the capacity uh, to be liberated from you know, evil inclinations, uh, to, to order our lives by avoiding those occasions of sin, uh, to find powerful expressions of charity and kindness and selfless service, just flowing from our hearts. It reminds me of the story of Padre Pio, when they asked him, what is it like that you know, all these powerful things, you have all these mystical powers, and you levitate, and you bilocate, and you heal, and you read hearts, and what do you think about all this? And, and Padre Pio just said that he was the first witness who stands in wonder at what God does through him. And I think that should be the posture of the Christian, 
that when we find that we get sin out, we let grace work, we stand in wonder at what God is doing through us. And that's the fullness of life that Jesus Christ wants to give us. So we have to get this sin out, we have to then nurture that life of grace, and then we're going to start seeing that abundance that the Lord Jesus promised us. Well, as St. Paul wrote, friends, for freedom's sake, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so as we have finished our secular holiday talking about letting freedom ring, uh, let's go forward not diluting or not Let's go forward not confusing freedom and license. Just because we have the ability to do something doesn't mean that we must do something. In fact, there's great freedom in choosing not to do something, which, by the way, important reminder, just in case it needs to be said, neither Father Kirby or I or Covenant Network advocate the robbing of banks. Um, I just want to throw <laughs> that out there before we wrap up. So don't do that. You know, It's not good for you. It's not good for anyone. Um, Father, could you close us out with a prayer, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you pour your Spirit upon us. May you open our minds and hearts. Help us to know the freedom that has been won for us, to claim that freedom, to live the abundance of that freedom. And we ask these and all good things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We want to thank Father Kirby for being with us this morning. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back with you shortly. Hail, true body, truly born. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail, true body, truly born of the Virgin Mary mild, truly offered, racked and torn on the cross for all defiled, from whose love pierced sacred side flowed your true blood's saving tide. Be a forte sweet to me in my death's great agony. O my loving, gentle one, sweetest Jesus, Mary's son. Amen. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network, and we have begun a period of Eucharistic revival here in the United States. We've been talking about that for the last few weeks, and I could think of no one better to speak with about our belief in our Lord's presence in the Eucharist than Dr. Scott Hahn, a professor, the director and, and president of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, author. The, the list goes on and on, but I know you listeners are familiar with Dr. Hahn. If for no other reason, you hear him on our airwaves. So, Dr. Scott Hahn, it is so good to have you with us this morning. It's great to be with you, Adam. Thanks for the invitation. I hope you don't mind. I'm in my backyard. This is just such a gorgeous day. I thought this would be the best place. If it gets a little noisy, I'll go inside. But uh, this is an amazing place for me to be talking about the presence of our Lord. I, I have no issues with that, Dr. Hahn. I think that God has revealed so much of himself in the beauty of creation that if we can soak it in in the backyard, I'm just disappointed it's radio and we can't see the lovely view that you have. <laughs> oh, it's a gorgeous view of the Ohio River. Oh, I, uh, that sounds amazing. Dr. Hahn, we are talking about the Eucharist this week. We are talking about our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament. And we have had so many discussions this year as we've heard the bishops talk about Eucharistic coherence and Eucharistic revival. But what we have not done is gone back to just a refresher of what do Catholics believe about the Eucharist? Because we often say we don't believe in a symbol. We don't believe in just a, a gesture, a commemorative action. 
that we're recreating the Last Supper, which is somewhat true, somewhat not, but there's so much more to it than symbolism or just recreating an event. So where do you start when you speak with Catholics about our Lord's presence in the Eucharist? Well, we ought to ask the question, where does our Lord start? Because, you know, here I am under the beautiful blue skies, and we start with creation, as our Lord did. I'm finishing up a book on holiness. Holy is his name. And what I do in that book is what I've done in my life, and that is discover the presence of God is already planted like a seed in all of creation, the heavens and the earth, but especially in the symbolism of the seventh day. Whether or not it's telling us how much clock time it took for God to make the world, the point of the seventh day is the Sabbath, and the significance of the Sabbath is the covenant. And so God has already inscribed into time there at the beginning of Genesis what it is that he has in view for us at the end of time, and that is a rest. But more than just a rest, it's the only time the word holiness occurs in all of Genesis. He sanctified, he hallowed the seventh day. Genesis 2, verse 3. And it's significant because it shows us that the plan of God is our holiness in His presence. But it also shows us that creation does not suffice because our first parents failed. And so when you look at the 50 chapters of Genesis and discover that the word holiness doesn't occur ever again in that book, then you're asking yourself, why? Well, because our first parents committed original sin. And so we move from the Sabbath at the beginning of Genesis to the sign of God's presence that is there at the burning bush at the beginning of Exodus, because there's an explosion of God's holy presence to Moses and Israel. I think 98 times the word holiness occurs in Exodus. And so there you have something more than just little trinkets of the the bread and the wine of Melchizedek. I mean, there are signs that point forward to the Holy Eucharist, even in Genesis, and other ones too. But in Exodus, what you have is the tabernacle as the culmination of the Exodus of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. The presence of God now dwelling, not just in the Sabbath in time, but in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, covered with gold, and in the high priest who has God's holy name on his forehead, and standing in the midst of his people, along with the bread of the presence. Literally, the bread of the panim in Hebrew is the bread of the face. And so God is advancing the program whereby he wants to make himself present to his people in Exodus in a way that we barely notice. Well, obviously, we don't have time to go throughout the entire Old Testament, but I I wanted to indicate how in creation we have it, how in the beginning of salvation we find it, and then press fast forward, because what is it that made the Exodus possible was, of course, the Passover, the lamb, the male lamb without blemish, without broken bones, slaughtered, the blood was sprinkled, and then the lamb was consumed as the climax of the Passover in the communion that brought Israel out of bondage and into the presence of God at Mount Sinai. And all of that, of course, points to all of this, because Jesus is the new Moses. He is the Lamb of God. He brings in a new covenant, a new exodus, and a new Passover. And what do we call it? The Eucharist. What does Jesus call it? In Luke 22.20, Jesus calls the Eucharist the new covenant, the New Testament. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Kine diatheke in the Greek is novum testamentum in the Latin. The only time Jesus ever uses that phrase, the new covenant, is when he's instituting the Eucharist, when he's giving to us something more than a sign or a symbol. 
when he's giving to us nothing less than his own body and blood. And of course, this is sound doctrine, but it's more than religious rhetoric. It's more than Catholic talking points. Because if Jesus only utters that phrase, the New Testament, on one occasion, when he's instituting the Eucharist, then the takeaway, the obvious conclusion that we've got to draw is that for Jesus, the New Testament was the Blessed Sacrament. Long before it became a doctrine, he doesn't say, write this in remembrance of me. He says, do this, and while we call this the Eucharist, that term wasn't employed until the final third of the first century. The term that Jesus applies to it is the New Testament, the New Covenant. So I discovered after more than 10 years of being an evangelical Christian, a Protestant, a New Testament Christian, that's all I ever wanted to be, but to be consistent as a New Testament Christian, I realized I'm going to have to become a Eucharistic Catholic, because the New Testament indeed is a sacrament before it becomes a document, according to the document, and that doesn't devalue the document. It enables you to get much more out of sacred Scripture in general. But you also see on that occasion, when Jesus is instituting the New Testament, he's celebrating the Old Testament, the Passover, one last time fulfilling it as the Lamb of God, as the High Priest, as the Tabernacle, as His body and blood are offered. And obviously, I could go on and on and on, but here we can see how the New Testament is concealed in the Old, and the Old is revealed and fulfilled in the New, but it goes all the way back beyond Exodus into creation, when God the Creator revealed His purpose in establishing a covenant symbolized by the seventh day, and even though the first Adam fails to communicate that and forfeits itself, nevertheless the new Adam and the new Eve, the Blessed Virgin, usher in a new creation through the new covenant. And the Eucharist is this abiding presence, the sacred mystery of Christ's resurrected body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I think that's just a great place to start. That is a cornerstone, perhaps even a, a foundation on which we can build our faith, but also not just our belief system, but our life, and not just my life and yours, but our families, and not just our households, but our parishes and our dioceses, our towns, our cities, our states, and our country. And so I believe this is why the Holy Spirit is behind the project that the bishops have launched in terms of renewing our Eucharistic faith and devotion. I think that's wonderful, and I, I agree it is a wonderful starting place for us today. And I know we have more to say on the subject, but this is a good time for us to take a break here, and we will continue our conversation with Dr. Scott Hahn on the Blessed Sacrament and the Eucharist as this week continues. Dr. Hahn, I look forward to the next part of our conversation. I do too, Adam. Thank you so much for your virtual hospitality. Oh, thank you. We will be back right after this. This week, as we celebrate the one-year anniversary of the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we are taking a look at timeless lessons from timeless women. And here with the woman of the hour, Patty Schneier, you have another Daily Dose for us on this Tuesday. Yes, well, we've been talking about different women in Scripture this week. Yesterday, I talked about Peter's mother-in-law and how when she was healed, she started serving the Lord and how we all should want to do that with our lives. Today, I want to look at a woman who is nameless, 
She's the woman at the well. All we know is that she's the Samaritan woman. We find her in John's uh, Gospel, Chapter 4. And um, this is one of the longest dialogues in all of the Gospels. And it's a back and forth of Jesus with this woman at the well. Most of us are familiar with the story. She comes to the well. It's noon. It's midday. He starts talking to her about the water. And she's saying, you know, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep. He's saying, will you give me a drink? So it's back and forth talking about the water and this living water that he has for her. And then... The conversation takes a very odd turn. Out of nowhere, Jesus says to her, go and call your husband. And that's so strange. Why in the middle of talking about the water and the well would he say, go and call your husband? And it's because Jesus, in wanting to rescue her, in wanting to redeem her, in wanting to save her, he has to address what is going on in her life and what's not working. You know, he has to say to her, you're right. She says, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. So he had to address the area of sin in her life. And of course, he goes on to say to her, if you knew the gift that God had, you would ask him for it. I think that's with so many of us in our lives. We think that the church is about rules, about regulations, about what we can and cannot do. And it's not. It's about a personal encounter with Jesus. He wants to address those very things in our lives that are not going well for us, that we've tried and tried and tried. And he basically wants to say, try my way, my way of purity, of love, of truth, of beauty. And so today, maybe my word of encouragement for you is to put yourself into that gospel of the woman at the well. What's in your water jug? What is it that Jesus is asking you to just trade it in? At the end of the gospel, it says she left her water jug and she ran into town. That's what we're all called to do. Trade it in. Anything in our life, the sin, the patterns, the habits that are causing us misery or pain, trade them in. Leave them at the well and go searching after the one that can really satisfy, which is Jesus Christ. We've got a lot to think about today. What are we going to leave at the well so that we can go seek our Lord? Patty, thank you for this wonderful encouragement. Well, as we continue this week, we will continue our conversations with Dr. Scott Hahn, and we are going to be also looking at some coming events that start this weekend that are particularly exciting. Among those, we've got the 74th Annual Novena to Our Lady of Mount Carmel at the Carmelite Monastery in St. Louis County, and then uh, really something remarkable that's been happening all over the country and coming to the St. Louis metro area is the relics of St. Bernadette uh, that have been traveling around the country, or as they say, touring. But, you know, when I want to hear tour, I think of, uh, you know, a rock band going on tour. But it's really a remarkable opportunity that these relics will be coming to the old cathedral in downtown St. Louis on Friday and Sunday, and then also the Cardinal Regali Center on Saturday. Um, It's the first time relics of St. Bernadette have ever been brought to the United States, and they are bringing them around the nation. This is the closest for most of our listeners that uh, you will be to these relics, and certainly a wonderful opportunity for those as well. Also uh, coming up on the show this week, we're going to be talking with Crystalline Everett tomorrow. And I'm really looking forward to this because we're going to start a conversation on parenting. And, you know, if you're like me, you're probably saying, okay, it's July. We are, we're one month closer to the kids going back to school. I'm running out of ideas and I'm at my wits end. And what do I do with these kids that are in my house? And fear not, because actually, you know, if we can 
get our wits about us, we have a, a wonderful opportunity as our children are home this summer on summer vacation to really build some quality time with them. So tune in tomorrow morning for that right here on Roadmap to Heaven as well. In the meantime, I would just leave you with this today. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, work to keep our faith is difficult. But I want to remind you, as we get into this new swing of things, being back with you again on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, bringing the show back to five days a week, that there are some essential things we can do uh, to, I don't know if it makes it easier for us, but it makes it easier for us to keep the routine. And so let's go over daily what we suggest. If you're able to get to Mass today, get to Mass today. But for sure, pray your rosary today. At midday today, stop and do a midday exam. And what I like to do is just thank God for one great thing that's happened so far today. And then I also stop and I ask him for the grace to turn around an area of my life where I recognize I'm having trouble that day. And then follow that up this evening with a full examination of conscience looking at your full day. These are some wonderful, vital steps. You know, don't forget to pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy this afternoon. We could go on and on, but we're running out of time. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank Father Jeffrey Kirby and Dr. Scott Hahn for being with us on the show today. Uh, as you go out into the day, strive to live that life of holiness. Until tomorrow, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You have been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't forget to check us out on your favorite podcast app. Click like and share, and share this show with anyone you want to after it's aired today. Until next time, pray your rosary today.